Yeah, so one thing that's I think it's always going to limit Vlad's slugging percentage is all the singles he hits off the fence. Ping! <laughs> Okay, so Josh hauls out a Bible-sized book. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> the last things Brody Van Wagenen says about Manfred at the leadership quote at the leadership level, he doesn't get it. He just doesn't get it. And welcome to episode number one hundred and eighty-one of Artificial Turf Wars. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by the substantial Joshua Housem. Uh, and today we say to you folks, you didn't want it to be boring, did you? Um, yeah, it's not boring. It's not boring at all. There's all kinds of stuff to talk about. and I do not know if we're going to be able to pack it into like a one-part podcast for the first time in ages. Is, would you agree, Josh? Uh, it's it's going to be interesting, especially because we also got a bunch of questions from our listeners, too. <laughs> Of course. Why wouldn't you have trade deadline questions? Um, yeah, I mean, we're going to start with the trades because the trades are are everything. We, we, there's Ross Stripling, there's Robbie Ray, there's Jonathan VR. Uh, and then, of course, there's the actual performance of the team, which is uh, better than good, I would have to say, which <clears throat> it did not look like in the first two weeks of the season. And then the next two and a half weeks, I guess, have been been pretty, pretty darn nice to watch in terms of uh, – performance and, and success more or less late in games and in close situations. Uh, so we have highlights from that from the past week. Uh, we have injuries galore. And I guess those are in a way as important as the trades, because if some of those guys are back for the end of September, that, that significantly changes the complexion of the playoff roster. Uh, we have your questions as Josh had just mentioned. And then we have a do over for, well, I mean, the Mets are involved, so it's obviously a do over. Um, sorry, no, we have a gold star that the Mets are involved in. That's You would think that's not possible, but it probably should also <laughs> be a do-over because of how we learned about what the gold star was. Um, our do-overs are for an official scorer and, well, the Red Sox because we just like bashing the Red Sox around here. So off to the races we go. Yes, uh, one-time Blue Jay now, Ross Stripling who wasn't having a great year in in Los Angeles, but has been very good in the past. I guess we're going in reverse chronological order here. Um, yeah, so Stripling was, he was announced an hour after the trade deadline, which was interesting. You know, it's just one of those things that I guess took a long time for the story to leak. So, so Ross Stripling, we actually talked about him, I think way back when, when he was supposed to have been traded to the Angels, and then the Angels backed out because they didn't like waiting. For some reason, you know, the Angels had no pitchers. Yeah. Um, so Ross Tripling has been a very good major league pitcher for four years. This year, he was quite good to start the season. It's just been quite bad for his last few starts. It's kind of the nature of this weird season where it's like, oh, it's August 31st and his ERA is five and a half. Okay, but it's seven starts and he's, which he was good in two and a half of them, three of them. So it's like... <laughs> There's a lot to like here, and also he's really he's pitched out of the bullpen a lot, and he started a lot, so he's a really valuable piece, especially to a team like the Blue Jays, which before the trade deadline or before their first trade, before the trade deadline had three healthy starters. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's absolutely <clears throat> critical that you have uh, guys you can put on the mound, and it's always possible that those existing starters might 
have an injury problem of, of one kind or another, right? So um, you, you want to start building in some backups if anything like that happens. Yeah, and this, and especially this is really helpful too. Again, again, we'll get to some of the other additions, but the Blue Jays have a doubleheader coming up, and there's no off days in the middle, so now they actually will have an extra starter to use in one of those games, which will be Ross Stripling. So, I mean, it's a really nice pickup, and unlike all the other guys that they got, he's also under control for two more years. So that's why they had to give up a little more to get him. Kendall Williams was a second round pick of the Blue Jays last year. You know, he's got a big fastball, four-pitch mix, but he's also 19 years old. So it's kind of a, we'll trade you a couple lottery picks. There's also another player to be named later that hasn't been revealed yet for, you know, a serviceable big league starter, middle of the rotation guy for two and a half years. And I think that's a tidy piece of business, especially for a team like the Jays that is in a playoff spot. Yeah, let's just let that team like the Jays that's in a playoff spot sink in. Okay. Uh, yeah. Moving. <laughs> um, so, in reverse chronological, what was the the Ray deal or the VR deal? Next? Yeah. So you're so the way that I wrote them on our little cheat there, it's just go up the list and you'll be in, in the right order. So VR was the second last one. All right. So the Blue Jays uh, get infield slash outfield help and some speed. Yeah, this was a major need for the Jays going into this deadline. I mean, obviously pitching, which, because I mentioned, they only had three starters. But the left side of the infield was in tatters because, you know, Bo Bichette got hurt, which we alluded to in the last podcast. And he's, and even as we record this on, what day is it, Tuesday night, <laughs> the uh, he's still probably at least a week to 10 days away from returning, maybe a bit more than that. So they didn't have a real shortstop. Of the, you know, Santiago Espinal's a backup, really. And Travis Shaw was just atrocious in the month of August. So they really needed to shore up the left side of the infield. So VR, who's a switch hitter, who's an, oh, he's an okay hitter, but you know, he's got some pop, he's fast and he can play everywhere. It was a, he was a nice piece of business. And the Jays gave up what for Mr. VR? So this one's also not official yet, but Griffin Conine is the reported player going the other way it's the son of mr met jeff conine so it's mr marlin rather jeff okay. conine so that's kind of fun because he went to the marlins obviously yes naturally so i mean go see dad hang out with him that's cool yeah so you know vr is a useful guy for this roster you know he's gonna once everyone's back he'll fill around the diamond because he can play pretty much anywhere although montoyo said that biggio will play third over him so i guess they're not really confident in his ability to handle that one so much but i mean it's still it's a really useful piece and especially you know for griffin conine is a guy who strikes out a ton in the minors and has big power but you know there's a lot of risk in that profile so it's definitely the kind of acquisition that they can afford to make never heard about a guy who strikes out a lot and has big power being on the Blue Jays. <laughs> and the son of a former big leaguer. Yeah. What a crazy, what a crazy thing to have on, even in the organization, just so, so wildly out there from the guys they normally go after. Anyway. Uh, so the last one is Robbie Ray, who is not the first Robert Ray to pitch for the Blue Jays. And I, why do well, I remember that one. guy? Why do I remember the previous Rob Ray so clearly? Um, well, the premier he was, of Ontario? <laughs> no, no, he not Bob Ray. Um, 
Well, he was part of the the downfall of that Blue Jays team that started like twenty seven and fourteen, and then had a had a, a nine game road losing streak to kind of plunge them back into mediocrity. I believe there were some injuries, and it was him and Brett Cecil who were being called upon to come back. But that's not the Robbie Ray we have on our team. Uh, that guy uh, is long gone. This guy currently walks the planet. Apparently, is his his modus operandi. Um, well, yes, the, uh, you're thinking of Robert Ray, by the way. Yes. I remember him now, but they called him Robbie Ray for like his first start and a half. And then they were like, we asked him and he doesn't like to be called Robbie. So it's Robert. Wow. Deep cut. Oh, nine, 2010. But, uh, yeah, Robbie Ray, the current one, <laughs> his thing has always been that he doesn't throw a ton of strikes, but he has huge swing and miss stuff, you know, for, and so he was an all-star and got Cy Young votes in 2017, 2018. He had a really solid season. 2019, he was still plenty useful, but you know his area was little, little over four. Um, he never goes deep in games because he gets so many strikeouts and he walks guys. This year, he entered spring training with a new windup to attempt to cut down on the walks, and it was you know he had two outings in spring training before COVID. So then he lost his ability to work on that. And then with the rushed summer camp, he never just got comfortable with that windup. And it's, it was just a disaster. He had as many walks as innings pitched, nine home runs allowed. He, he just was terrible uh, for, for the, for the D-backs. And that's why the Jays were able to get him for Travis Bergen, you know, an up and down middle relief lefty. And, you know, and Ray's going back to his old mechanics where he was a very serviceable pitcher. And in his first outing with the Blue Jays, uh, it's still going on right now, but he's given up one run through three innings. He's got a few strikeouts with just one walk. It's, it, you know, it's looking all right. If he can be, it's like Liriano in 2016. If he can just get back to what he normally is instead of his extremely outlier current performance, he's a huge addition. If not, the cost is so low that it doesn't really matter. Well, I think that that's the overriding theme here with all these transactions is more or less the cost is so low. And he's walked two, by the way. Um, two. Oh, yes. Okay. It's already picked, picked a guy off, too. Um, yeah. So I, the, the Blue Jays have not have not been asked to give up a lot in order to get where they are currently. Uh, and they're they're definitely ahead for this year. And like we said, with with Stripling, you know, at least next year, they have another body that's that's major league quality. So I, I think it's it's. It's a no-brainer to say that they've they've succeeded at everything they could hope to succeed at for this particular trade deadline. Yeah, you've you've actually we still haven't talked about the biggest addition yet, Taewon Walker. Yeah, well, like he, 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 I always find it funny because those things kind of like they fade because everything happens on trade deadline day. But the guy who was like what three days or four days before the trade deadline is. Uh, is a big deal. He's going to write himself a humongous check if he keeps pitching like he did in his first start. Yeah, and you know, Taylor Walker was a, a legitimate pitcher, and he had a fantastic season with Arizona in 2017. And then he got Tommy John, and he missed almost all of because he got he had Tommy John right at the beginning of the 2018 season. So it wasn't like it wasn't one of those ones where. You know, they had the Tommy John at the end of the season and they missed all the next season. He missed almost all of two seasons because of the timing. And he came back and he's been healthy and he was really solid for Seattle. And, you know, he, he's gone deep in games and then he, you know, threw six shutout innings for the Blue Jays. Taylor Walker is good. 
like an actual, I would be happy having him starting game two of a postseason series. High praise. And I, I think legitimately so. Like there is other than Tommy John, which obviously, um, you know, happens to a lot of pitchers. Uh, is there a, you know, a, a, a big red flag for Walker? And I'm, I'm guessing the answer there is no. Yeah, I mean, his velocity was a little down to start the season, but it's climbed up a bit. And no, I mean, he's, his command is there. He throws strikes and he has really good, solid stuff. He's he's legitimate, you know, not maybe not an ace. He's not Hyunjin Ryu, but really, really good pitcher. And they got him for a, a guy who was playing in, in, I think it was the Gulf Coast League last year, Alberto Rodriguez. He's one of these like, Really high ceiling flyers. I mean, he has a really good hit tool and he's fast. He doesn't have a lot of power. So they think that he should be a, like, he does project as a major leaguer down the road. But, you know, we're talking about an 18 year old who's in the Gulf Coast League. If you can get Taewon Walker for that, you do it every time. If, if you're in the Blue Jays position, yeah. If, you know, you, you have to figure out where you are in the win curve. And an 18 year old is not helping the Blue Jays win their next playoff series. Yeah, <laughs> just straight well, up. Yeah, not, like you hope not. <laughs> you hope yeah, you're not no, holding no over kidding. that guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's you know four additions without giving up a major league piece, uh, or you know, or the hand wringing over the number one prospect in the Blue Jays organization, whom I'm not sure who that is now that Nate Pearson has graduated. Um, Austin. Sorry, Austin Martin. Okay. Um, Actually, he, Pearson hasn't graduated yet. He hasn't thrown enough innings. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, the, the best guy they gave up, Kendall Williams, again, 19 years old, but he's, you know, not in their top 10. I mean, they, have, they have a very deep farm system. I mean, this is something that they've done very well, where there's assets that people want to trade for 10 to 20, 20 to 30. And, you know, you you can get these kind of players for this kind of playoff run without really impacting your, your, the depth of your farm system. And and, I mean, that's just really, really good. Yeah. Um, Okay. So we'll move on to the guys who have been on the team and, and the things that they are doing. So Julian Merriweather was, uh, if you looked up disappointment in the dictionary for Blue Jays fans, if they had one, I think Julian Merriweather's face would, would have been beside that after the Josh Donaldson trade and, and all of the, lack of uh presence that julian merriweather had and i you know not his fault but certainly not what you were hoping to get as in a trade for an mvp he seems to be in a position to completely redeem himself this season yeah it was just really unfortunate because he was injured at the time that they traded for him he was recovering from tommy john surgery in 2018 but he was supposed to be back for 2019 and then just wasn't <laughs> and it's just like oh okay and so people just sort of started calling him bust and wasted and they couldn't believe that this is all they got. And he's changing everybody's minds right now. And I mean, he's got 12 strikeouts in seven and a third. That's it's a lot of strikeouts. <laughs> he hasn't given up a run yet. <laughs> That's, you know, uh, it's Jordan Romano territory. We'll get to him later. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we we all love uh, a high strikeout late inning reliever. I think uh, to a man, we we love that sort of thing. Oh yeah, and he's been used as a as a bulk. Like he's been an opener twice actually. He's thrown two innings the last two times out, three times out actually. So 
he's another one of these guys that they've got that was a starter throughout their time in the minors. And then they come to the big leagues and it's just like, well, you haven't been had been able to build yourself up in this goofy, no minor league season. So we're just going to throw you in the pen so you can throw 30 pitches or 40 pitches and help get us to different stages of the game. Um, I think, you know, extra players on the roster is extremely helpful to this strategy as well. Right. Because it gives the manager the flexibility a little bit more to not worry about those um, those five starters being the the sort of the workhorses of the staff. If you excuse me, if you need to split up the duties on a bullpen night because the Jays have already had a bunch, um, then yeah, if you have a couple of guys who can do throw three innings or you know two and a third or, or wherever it gets them in that many pitches, then you've got more flexibility to do that with the larger roster. Yeah, exactly. And the Blue Jays are not uh, historically not ever letting anyone pitch into the seventh anyway. That's just, it, we're going to talk about the overall pitching strategy, but it's clear that that's, that's not their target. And I, I'm, yeah, we'll get into that in a minute after we talk about all the good news from the rest of the roster. So we wanted Hyunjin Ryu, whose name you have written here for me, to be the ace. And lo and behold, after a little hiccup out of the gate, he showed up to earn his paycheck. I mean, my goodness, yes. You know, Kenjin Ryu led the National League in the ERA last year. And it's like, okay, you know, it's, it's the best year of his career. And he's always been good, but never that good, you know, as in leading the league in the ERA. And then he comes out here and he's, you know, he's not leading the league in the ERA because Shane Bieber has been ridiculous. But in the month of August, he threw 28 innings and he gave up. Five runs, four of which were earned, but we'll discuss why that should really be three <laughs> later on. You know, so his ERA was one two nine for the entire month of August, with a strikeout to walk of five, you know, thirty one strikeouts, six walks in twenty eight innings. I mean, that is, if that's not ace level pitching, I don't know what is. You you and you, if you think you're going to be in a playoff series, you need a guy who can shut people down for the opening of that series and. In, I think, most Blue Jays fans' minds, certainly in mine, it's like, just hurry up and give him the ball for game one, please. Uh, and it's been a while since we've had a pitcher who it was, you know, absolutely the guy you wanted to have the ball. Oh, yeah. it It's like, it's night and day from basically any time since 2016. I mean, I don't know. It was Jay Happ that in 2017. I'm not sure, but definitely the last two years. Yeah, I, yeah. Like, I mean, two years is a long time in baseball roster turnover terms. Uh, the other uh, performances include a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. who has not torn the cover off of the ball by, you know, Herculean standards. However, the OPS keeps creeping up. <laughs> um, the line drives seem to happen more often. There's a lot of good signs out of Vlad. Yeah, so one thing that's I think it's always going to limit Vlad's slugging percentage is all the singles he hits off the fence. Ping! <laughs> it's like he he's so slow <laughs> and he hits the ball so hard. So he hits these rockets off the fence that bounce back to the outfielder. Vlad hasn't even touched first base yet, so it's like okay. But yeah, I mean he had an 888 OPS and, and a 373 WOBA in the month of August. That's fine. I you know. I will take that from my first baseman, whoever he is. It's more than fine. I mean, obviously, you would you would like it from a guy who was playing 
maybe at third base. Uh, but that hasn't, you know, well, <laughs> he's still working out at third base, to my understanding, just in case they were going to go with the Dan Vogelback at first experiment. You yeah, remember, the Dan Vogelback who was on the roster and off the roster in between our recordings. I mean, we are a little longer than usual on podcasts in this strange season, but pretty much, yeah, that's, uh, he played one game, two? Uh, three, I think. I think three. he pitched it three times. Yeah. Strange yeah, pickup. Yeah. But no, but Vlad has been really, really solid. He's hitting, he's like second in the league, I think now in balls hit over hundred miles an hour and he's actually hitting some of them in the air now. <laughs> yeah. And, but he's, you know, but he was just one of many hitters who had great months and which coincided with the Jays being in the place where we're talking about playoff starters, right? Teoscar Hernandez is Woba for the month, 384. Kevin Biggio, 382. Randall Grichuk, 372. Rowdy Tellez, 376. Which you is know, a like, wild number for Rowdy Tellez under any circumstances. Right. I mean, his bats are half of everyone else's. But, you know, like when the offense is clicking like that, it makes a huge difference. Randall Grichuk hit nine home runs in 14 days. It's four and a half a week. <laughs> it's not that, bad. That's getting hot. I don't care whether he struck out every other time or not. It's hard to not want him at the plate. Um, and yeah, from, from the first first couple of weeks of the season to the last couple of weeks of the season, um, this offense has really started to pop. Um, and it, it has not resulted in big in a lot of big innings. There's still a lot of close games the Blue Jays are playing because I think uh, this is not a team of superstars. Uh, so you are going to get you know days where uh, two guys get all the hits and the other six or seven are kind of not having a day and then you turn around and it's the opposite the next day. Uh, but it seems like the Blue Jays have a chance of putting a rally together regardless of where they are in the lineup at the moment. Yeah, and it's, you know, oh, well, <laughs> depends on who's playing at the bottom of the lineup on any given day, but yes. <laughs> Pardon Santiago Espinal. Um, now, you were mentioning briefly Travis Shaw being absolutely not the Travis Shaw that the Blue Jays thought they traded for, but but Charlie Montoyo batted him third, Josh. He also batted Jonathan VR third. Okay, <laughs> I guess we're on to the Charlie Montoyo part of the podcast. <laughs> Obligatory Charlie Montoyo head scratching. He is driving me crazy with his sack bunting runners to second base. In the game that they lost against the Orioles. Now, I'm not blaming Montoyo for the loss because who knows if the run would have scored anyway. I'm blaming some other things for the loss. But in the ninth inning, the Jays had a a runner on first base and nobody out. And Danny Jansen was at the plate. And he sack bunted him to second. Well, he tried to. Jansen popped up the bunt. If you have so little confidence in your batter in a tie game in the ninth inning to do something positive that you're going to give up an out just to get a runner to second, why don't you just pinch hit? Rowdy Tellez was on the bench against yep. a right-handed pitcher. Yeah. You. So to put that another way, in the ninth inning, you are giving up 33% of the outs you have <laughs> to bunt someone over. It's like like you don't want to play a third of the game that's remaining in exchange for one base. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's generally bad, but this is like what what loss could you possibly have? You're gonna if Tellez does what he's supposed to do, you're never gonna see the other catcher suit up. 
And if he does defensively, it's not like it's a downgrade to go to Reese McGuire. I mean, no. And also, this was and this was bunting to get to the bottom of the order. It wasn't even like sack bunted to get to. I still don't like sack bunting to get to Kevin Biggio because he's not like a singles guy. But it was bunting to get to the panic Espinal area of the roster, and it was just like, what are you doing? Or I, I mean, it was just, it was really bad. And he keeps doing it. It's a problem, and it needs to be addressed. Um. Yeah. I mean, the, the and his lineup construction as well that we just alluded to probably should be addressed. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know why. Why managing by the numbers is so hard for a new manager, and it seems to be a fairly frequent complaint across the major leagues that when when a new manager comes in. Uh, to sort of put his stamp on things. He does a bunch of things that, you know, are just nonsensical that should be easy to figure out. Just look at a run expectancy table. Thank you. <laughs> That'd be really nice. And, and so, but like one thing when we're talking about, you know, what he's been doing with his managing fun, <laughs> um, one thing that's getting, he's getting blamed for, which I don't think he actually deserves blame for is, the short outings for some of the starters. I don't agree with some of the pitching selections he makes in them. Like in that same game, Anderson was dealing through five, throwing 82 pitches, and he took them out. Because of the way the Jays' bullpen is set up, they have so many good relief pitchers that can get you those next four innings that it's fine to do that. But he brought in Wilmer Font, and Wilmer Font immediately got shelled. But the Jays have like a built-in strategy, which is what really worked for... Milwaukee in the last couple of years where it's just like if you don't have the best starting pitchers but you have really good power relievers starters go five relievers go two apiece for the first inning first couple guys and then you go to your high leverage guys and you know that's what they've been doing and it's done it's gone really really well yeah I mean if you have again back to you have a 14-man pitching staff you can afford and and like you said, guys who can go more than one inning because they've done that in the minor leagues. Um, those combinations just you gotta sort of free your mind and, and go that way. Um, and again, you don't need there's no such thing as a 200 inning pitcher this year. <laughs> it's, nope, <laughs> it's all out the window in those terms. So you're not trying to save anybody's personal statistics. You're not trying to you know stretch a guy out or, or whatever else. If you can you can play it like the Clevelands played playoff baseball um, in I think it was 2018, where it was like as soon as there's a, a sniffle of trouble, feel free to go to the bullpen because you know you've got you've got enough bodies down there to figure it out tomorrow if somebody else is having trouble. Yeah, I mean so I'm. I am kind of sad that the you know pitcher grinding it out and really figuring out a way to win is gone. But I think he's that that whole digging deep and figuring out a way to get out is that's a thing that we'll talk about with our our kids about baseball, you know, our grandkids. But nobody will know what it meant to see a, a pitcher like Pedro Martinez or uh, Roy Halladay sweating after 120 pitches in the you know in the middle of the eighth, trying to figure out how to get two more outs because his manager wants him to get there. I think that's just 
that's a dinosaur way of thinking now. Yeah, I mean, I think we might see some of that come back next year, assuming they're playing a regular baseball schedule. But, you know, because it's harder to rely on your bullpen this way when you only have 26-man rosters and you're playing 162 games. But for this season, it's definitely not a thing. I just think that um, that teams are looking at that third time through the order penalty, and they have been for years. But I think this just – everything's getting – you know, just like strikeouts keep going up, things keep sliding further and further in this direction. And I think a lot of managers are asking themselves, okay, do I want this guy to get one more out? Or do I want the fresh guy who throws five miles an hour harder and has a killer slider to get the out because there's two runners on base now? And the answer inevitably seems to be, I'm going to have the better guy in this situation with, you know, who they haven't had a look at, get those outs. And this, yeah, this extra roster spot or two, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, magnifies all of that so i I just i I think teams will do everything to avoid it next year i wouldn't be surprised if if the cba has um a stipulation in it for for the roster size to change when it does get renegotiated because obviously the players want it because it means more players in at mlb level and you might find some teams want it because it gives them more flexibility yeah anyway that was a long road to go down. It was. Runneth me through the injury update, sir. <laughs> okay, so. Josh hauls out a Bible-sized book. <laughs> pretty much. First, Ken Jaws, because he's the closest to returning. He threw live batting practice today. He's going to throw another one on the weekend. After that, if he's no pain, I think he's going to be right back on the roster. Yeah. Which is good because Jordan Romano – sprained his middle finger and he's on the IL who knows when he'll be back there's hope he'll be back before the end of the season but they need you know to see how this goes in the initial stages because it just happened have you ever sprained your middle finger or or, or first finger pitching um I've had finger pains from but I throw a fork ball so the way I hold the ball would lead to that I don't but I have no idea how it happened and else but I also don't throw 90 mile an hour sliders (laughs) so who knows? Well, uh, different different yeah. slice of pie there. <laughs> sure is. And speaking of 90-mile-an-hour sliders, Nate Pearson, he's up to 120 feet playing catch. The next step will be to get on a bullpen mound. 120 feet, for people who don't play baseball or really work, that's a long throw. And if you're throwing that far and trying to keep the ball on a line, not just blooping it, which that's not what they do when they're training, when they're rehabbing, mm-hmm. that takes force and it takes – you know, it takes actual usage of an injury. Like you have to, you're actually testing it. So, you know, that's good for him. Like he's on his way back. And again, so that he's probably still, you know, a couple of weeks away. But it sounds like he's going to return this year. Shoemaker's at 105 feet. So he's a little behind. I, and then. It's like, it just seems like a weird competition to be in. How, how many feet you throw from today? Uh, I'm up to 105. <laughs> I got 120. Well, they usually man. move back in increments of 15. I so. see. So just yeah. as a as a sort of um, eyeballing it kind of thing for those of you who might be wondering about 120 feet out there in the audience, uh, if you live in somewhere like uh, downtown uh, Toronto or something like that. You may be looking at uh, the, your front yard might be 30 feet across. So four front yards if you're in like row housing. If you're somewhere out in the suburbs, you might have 60-foot frontage. Um, so two full front yards to throw across. 
Um, and we're again, not lobbing it, trying to keep it on a line. Yeah. Good. Yeah, it's a little, little good way of putting it in people's giving context to people. Yeah. I used to have a 60 foot front yard frontage where my oh, nice for you. so it was like oh it's, <laughs> it's a pitching mound okay well that's man that's a long way when you're trying to yeah no i was never that good <laughs> <laughs> anyway just to finish up the injury report because we we got Bo in there earlier and trent thornton is out for the season he's gonna have he's had surgery to remove loose bodies in his elbow and he should be fine for spring training it's not tommy john which is nice because that would have knocked him out for all of next year too just uh, a cleanup, essentially. I'm easily amused by um, the alternative between the medical term and then the actual like uh, anatomy terms that we end up getting as baseball fans. Like you, you'll hear that, oh, he's he's torn his mandibular scapula muscle, and you're like, the who and the what now? And they go, oh, he's had loose bodies removed. Loose bodies. <laughs> Like it, it's like, are they? Is that it? Are they just loose bodies? Is that the term? Because it seems like that's just sort of a way of of dummying it down for us. <laughs> Seriously, um, you don't want loose bodies in your elbow. That's what I no. know. Not to belabor this too long because we've been going on for a long time here because there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> but if you're the Blue Jays, if Pearson and Romano both make it back, which it's not out of the realm of possibility. Let's even assume that Shoemaker doesn't for some reason, you know? Or Which if he does. Just, sorry, he's just a lat strain, right? Yes. Yeah, so no no but, shoulder elbow problems for him. Correct. But but so, yeah, Shoemaker comes back. You can have a ro- rotation that goes Ryu, Walker, Shoemaker. And if you're in the postseason, you don't even need to use Shoemaker. Just throw the bullpen because you'll have Giles, Romano, Bass, Dolise, Cole. Hatch, K. Uh, who am I missing? Yamaguchi. Oh, Pearson. <clears throat> Pearson, and then like you can use Ross Stripling, or you can use <laughs> you can use Robbie Ray, <laughs> Julian Merriweather. I forgot to mention him. He's been awesome. Like the depth is so good. But the, so after getting past you know Sam Gavilio and Wilmer Font and uh, you know possibly Rafael Dolis who has been not horrible don't get me wrong but what we're you know it's sort of these middling the, yeah there's a lot of guys who you're like man they've been good the whole time that's wild yeah it's it's wild I didn't even say Barucky like I mean like, the list is endless that I'm so much that I'm forgetting pitchers who have pitched really well though Brucky has faltered a bit lately i mean how do you deal with that if you're an opposing team i mean you, why would you even use a starter in the third game you go ryu for six innings walker for six innings and then a bullpen game on the third day and you don't even have to use any pitchers twice except maybe giles if you want him to close out a couple games which is yeah really crazy so hopefully they're in that situation and really have to uh turn the screws on some playoff opponent that way. That would be really nice. Now we celebrate the deaths from above, or the DFAs, as we call them. Um, Shall you read us the names of those who will no longer be, most likely, in a Blue Jay uniform in the coming days? Yeah, so Brandon Drury, as Blue Jays fans rejoice. Yes. Sam Gaviglio, as more Blue Jays fans rejoice. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Thomas Pannon was when they got Walker. 
And uh, or no, Thomas Boone was when they got Vogel back, who has been DFA'd for these latest moves. Ah, <laughs> uh, Vogel, we hardly knew you. Yeah, he might stick around. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah. So that's that's it. That was the end of uh, several players who were kind of a thorn in the side, I think, of Blue Jays fans this season and maybe previous seasons if you're counting Brandon Drury. So some experiments need to come to an end when you get better players, and I think these are probably some pretty obvious choices, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't. The only one, other, other one that I thought could have been in there was Joe Panic, but they, you know, they like his versatility. So, but the rest of these guys, they, I mean, they just weren't good. Indeed. All right. So we're gonna take a little break. We're gonna uh, crack our knuckles, shrug our shoulders, and then we're gonna come back because we have questions from you guys, and man, are answers important to give in this context? We will be right back. I get a fever that's so hard to bear You give me fever When you kiss me Fever when you hold me tight Fever in the morning a Fever all through the night Sunlight's up to daytime Yes, our return was imminent and now it is present And, uh figure that you guys somewhere in the turf pod responses want to hear this little ditty play time now to hear from our listeners that just seems silly here are the rules first i ask a question then you ask a question now how does that sound sweetheart could you repeat the question please no i will only say it once so colleen evan asks a i think a very pertinent question is there anywhere online to find a list of players on the taxi squad do those players have to be on the roster or are they in some weird limbo so uh question a i thought they would be on the depth chart and you have you have stated that that is not true which seems odd it is odd i don't know why that's not there maybe because it changes so frequently i but then so does the roster. So, yeah, it's not there. Like, you basically just have to follow the beat writers on Twitter. And, you know, they'll tweet out when there's a change. The current five-man group is Caleb Joseph, Jonathan Davis, Patrick Murphy, Jacob Wagusback, and Alejandro Kirk. Kirk, who's up more just to um, to learn about game day prep from the major league, like around major league catchers. The odds of him actually playing are apparently not that high, but... It's a unique experience that they can get now with this taxi squad, so they want him to take advantage of it. But they are on the 40 net, yes? No. No. This is this is the answer to part B to this question. You do not have to be on the 40 man to be on this. Alejandro Kirk is not on the Blue Jays 40 man roster right now. Uh neither is Caleb Joseph, actually. I think the other three guys all are. Um you just need to be in the 60 man player pool. Which is not the roster. I'm glad they made these rules simple for this shortened season. Otherwise, people might get disoriented. Oh, uh, we're <laughs> going to get to another goofy one later, which uh, will be part of my final thought. But, uh, yeah, so it, the floating thing that you re- you referenced there, Colleen, that is accurate. You, you don't actually have to be on the roster. Uh, two related questions. David Hahn at David Davy Danger Pants um, 
and uh, asks, uh, given the fact that both Ray and Stripling are having um, off years, do you think that the delayed start and shortened camp may have anything to do with their poor performances? And if so, do you think it's fair to expect them to be closer to their 2019 selves? And Luke, uh, hashtag ACAB at split letters. How worried should we be about how badly the pitcher acquisitions have been so far this year? I, I think we touched on that earlier, but would you care to elaborate? Yeah, we definitely, I mean, I, what I said about Ray earlier definitely applies, where for him, the spring training definitely was an issue. And in his first outing, he went back to his, really looked like him old, his old self mechanically, and he was quite good. He threw 75% strikes. Um, does that mean he's going to do that all the way going forward? No, because he's never done that in his career. <laughs> but, and Roth, with Ross Stripling, the stuff is still there. I think it's just that you know, it's a seven start stretch and sometimes there's going to be some bad starts in there and that'll inflate your numbers. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Ray numbers look horrible. 7.49 ERA and as many walks as inning pitch. That looks more alarming to me than Ross Stripling, who simply has an ERA over five. Um, we've had to struggle with guys who we know are quote unquote better than that with an ERA over five, you know, a couple of years recently where it was a matter of, um, you know, maybe strength of opponent, maybe, um, you know, an underlying injury that, that was nagging at them or, or whatever else. And I obviously there's medicals that have changed hands. So I don't think they're getting damaged goods in either guy. I think the expectation is, yeah, a change of scenery and a return to form is probably a fairly safe bet. Yeah. So I, I don't think in his case, the spring training had anything to do with it. It's just had some bad starts. It happens. He got shelled. I mean, he's got a lot of home runs, but though yeah, the, the short, uh, the shortened camp in the sense of not being able to build up your full uh, stamina and having to leave inning, you know, outings earlier, I think that pretty much applies across the board for all pitchers. Although he was throwing like six innings or seven innings in the first like inter squads in camp, so he was throwing all through the uh, all through the the layoff. Mm-hmm. Um, end result, it, we'll see in a couple days when he starts putting starts out there for the Blue Jays. Heated end at heated end. Uh, with a lockout pretty certain to come the season after, what, if any changes in GM's tactics, do you anticipate? What about in regards to the Jays specifically? Do you want to give it a shot? I think general managers do not do too much. If I were a general manager, I would not anticipate a strike myself. I, I would be... Because because if there if you anticipate a strike and you don't go all in or you don't plan to be competitive and it turns out that there is labor peace, um, you're really behind the eight ball. Um, whereas if there's a lockout uh, or a you know a, a strike situation or whatever else, well, that's you know that's priced in to everything that's going on. But that's just my view. No, I think that's what's going to happen. You just can't. You can't work that way because, like you said, if it doesn't happen, if they come to an agreement and you've been not preparing for that, you're just way behind everybody else. Otherwise, yeah, you're just on equal footing. So I agree. Uh, I'll read this one. This is from L at Ellie Ellie Hart. Who is the most agonizingly agonizingly slow pitcher you remember watching? Because Dolis is giving me Daniel Mangdon in in MLB The Show vibes. I do not know Daniel Mangdon in MLB The Show, but okay. Um, so I'll just give you a little context. So he does like a little rocking motion, like back and forth, like old timey. And mm-hmm. in video games, when you have to like, like there's a slider for the pitch and the timing, the guys who have the slow motions, it's just like, oh my God. <laughs> I, when I, I remember playing MVP baseball 
in if I had Satchel Page and like the, if you put in the legends, I would hit the first batter so he'd throw from the stretch <laughs> because it was so slow having him pitch from the full. Um, so for me, like in just out of, off the top of my head from my memory bank is J Hap before he was any good because mm. I just. You know, when he was walking a lot of people and not attacking the zone before he became, you know, J-Hap 2.0, I don't think he got any faster when he was J-Hap 2.0, but he threw less pitches because he would allow guys to make contact or he would trust the guys to swing and miss kind of thing. Before that, it was like, dude, we know there's going to be seven pitches in this at bat. Could we get to them? <laughs> <laughs> For me, yeah, got? I mean, that's a good one. For me, it's Tyler Clippard. I mean, I think I railed about it enough when he was on the Jays roster. Like, oh, it's like he throws slow and he throws like a bunch of pitches to every batter and he takes 40 seconds between them. It's just like, oh, my goodness. So, but yeah, I mean, Rafael Delis puts you to sleep. <laughs> it's like, he works really slow, but also his mechanics are so like like calm and slow. Like there's no effort to his mechanics, which is actually a good thing. But when you're watching it, it's very it, it puts you to sleep. And shout out to I believe Rick Sutcliffe, who was one of many pitchers who have been called the human rain delay. As your throwback. You two relate two related questions. Kevin Chase at Kevin Chase four. I'm sorry that the first three were taken. Uh, and Mikey at Mon <laughs> underski underscore key planet. Um, I suggest. So the, Kevin says, why is Buck so horny for the fastball this year? Uh, and uh, Mikey says, I suggest we name Buck two times as he normally repeats his play-by-play analysis at least twice. Shake my head. So I suggest Buck two times Martinez. I like that he suggested Buck two times Martinez twice in his tweet. Yeah, on brand. <laughs> I actually have answers to both of these questions. All right. Which one do you want to answer first? Well, the fastball one, I think it's just because for the first time in ages, the Blue Jays have guys that throw good fastballs. So he's just like not used to it. And he wants to see more of them. Mm. Does Is he horny for the hitters to hit the fastball as well? No, no. He just wants no. the Blue Jays pitchers to keep throwing their fastballs. Like the fastball is the best pitch in baseball. He said that like four times. Um, the other Tonight. one, <laughs> it's because he's used to having Tabler repeat what he says. And he hasn't been hearing it back. So he has to say it himself. <laughs> Can you imagine if Tabler comes back and it's three times? It's like he says it and Tabler <laughs> says it and he repeats mode it. And then... yeah. oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. I like it. Um, it has been, I, I guess, uh, a good thing for folks to actually have Dan Schulman call every Blue Jays game since what, when was the last time he did that? 1994 or something? Or 1993? Yeah, yeah, sounds about right. Been a while, but yeah. Um, uh, I, I also found it odd listening on the radio that they're watching on monitors. Yeah. And it's like, I, I can't tell what happened because they didn't film what happened. It's like, really? Oh, that's weird. That's funny. Okay. It's kind of, it doesn't make sense, <laughs> but it does. Those are the questions. And so we move to my favorite portion of the evening. All right. What would I do different? Well... Well, I've never actually made a mistake. There have been a few, let's call them, stananks. They could be worthy of a do-over. Is it worse that the official scorer gets it wrong and sticks to their guns, or is it worse that they they get it right and then they go back later and screw it up retroactively? 
Definitely the latter. <laughs> so, you and David Ortiz, to... man. You and David Ortiz, same, Exa- same energy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I alluded to this earlier, but in the game that when Ryu was pitching against the Orioles, their bases loaded, two out, and a ground ball was hit to the left side. Shaw ranged to his left, and for some reason, instead of just throwing the ball to second base. He made an off-balance throw to first that bounced away from Vlad. Two runs scored. Ruled an error, obviously. Mm-hmm. A half inning later, we get a note. It was ruled an infield hit, and both runs were earned. <laughs> so basically, the argument was that even if he hadn't thrown the ball away, two runs would have scored somehow. It does defy logic because like, he had the ball. Like, he made a throw. Ergo, there, there's no error on the catch here. Right? Because if, if he didn't, if he booted it, never picked it up, then you could say, oh, okay, well, th- there's the error that allowed him to reach base. Um, but, but, but he still can't get to the second run being earned. Like, there's yeah. no logical way to get there. So... I mean, this guy eventually got changed to one run being earned, but I don't know how you put that there in the first place. <laughs> and then, but they still changed it to keeping it as a base hit when the throw, which was wide, clearly beat him. And so I don't know. It was just just ridiculous. If they just got it wrong, I'd have been like, okay, just ridiculous scoring. But to actually go and actively change it means that they thought that the 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 first call, which was clearly right, was wrong. Yeah, defying all logic. Uh, okay, that's one candidate. We have two do-over candidates. Would you like to explain why Red Sox Twitter is getting a do-over? Yes. So earlier today, again, recording this Tuesday, the Red Sox official Twitter account put out a tweet that said I-Y-K-Y-K and then a picture of someone pushing a reset button, <laughs> the, which you've seen probably like various versions of this, like the, the keyboard with the big blue button that says reset. So IYKYK stands for if you know, if you, you know, know, you know. Yes. Yeah. And this, so they were bragging about resetting the luxury tax in a season where they are awful. <laughs> I have a friend who's a Red Sox fan and I'm like, so, you know, how, how many wins are you shooting for this season? He goes, about 10. And then I looked at the stats and I'm like, oh, he literally means 10. <laughs> it, it was just so tone deaf. And clearly it's like, yeah, they don't care about competing. All they care about is how much money they make, right? Like, what yeah. were they thinking? It was up for about 30 minutes and then it was deleted. But, you know, the internet, nothing ever disappears, right? No, not uh, not the unimportant stuff. I mean, the important stuff disappears, but we, that's that's probably a politics podcast, but we don't actually run. Uh, okay, so there now, who do we really give the do over to at that point? I we really uh, we can only hand out one per week. I think there's a limited su- uh, supply of do overs in my cabinet here. Oof. <laughs> I think I got to go with the scoring decision because it's just like actively going back to make the mistake. That's the, the do over is just stick with the right call, man. Yeah, the do over is don't to overthink not- it. Is to undo your own do-over. Yeah. It's it's the perfect do-over situation. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. So, dear official scorer, please stop by, uh, apologize for your complete lack of logic and understanding, and uh, we will never speak of it again. 
Uh, okay, we have one more award to hand out because we are in a giving away mood, as it were. I think that's rather brilliant. So I did good, right? I mean, I would have thought you'd get a gold star. You enjoy that. You've earned it. Once upon a time, Chris Swick uh, sent out a tweet, I believe it was 2015, that simply said, in an Orson Welles voice, Ah, the Mets. Uh, I anticipate I've retweeted that probably three or four times myself and then unretweeted it because I knew I needed to save it for later. So, of course, we're going to the Mets. Now, why are we handing out a gold star to the Mets um, and still, like, shaking our head at them? Because we shouldn't know this about Brody Van Wagenen. We shouldn't know he doesn't like Rob Manfred. Um, yeah, I read this story and I couldn't believe it, but go ahead. (laughs) So there was an interview or he was talking to Brody Van Wagen and the GM of the former agent GM of the Mets was talking to, I don't think we actually know who he was talking to. We, we, we couldn't see it in the, in the video that made its way around. He was talking about a, an absolute nonsense plan that he was told Rob Manfred had, for, for the, you know, with all the protests that were going on, you know, games being canceled because players were, you know, protesting for Black Lives Matter, you know, which was great. Everything was, but there was a plan that Van Wagenen heard, which was that the Mets would walk off the field, like they take their positions, then walk off the field, and then come back and play the game an hour later, which like just totally defeats the purpose and like just just it's like saying well we don't actually care about why you're protesting we just want the symbolism of it we want to make it look like we care yes horrible tone deaf brainless move now i think it says something here that on the call van wagen immediately concluded that this must be rob manfred's idea <laughs> That, well, that no, his, he said he was told it was Manfred's idea. I feel like, though, who, whomever came up with it, the, the fact that 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 would be Rob Manfred's idea just seems right. Well, and the best was Van... So this is where the gold star comes. The end of the thing, the last things Brody Van Wagenen says about Manfred, at the leadership, quote, at the leadership level, he doesn't get it. He just doesn't get it. And for that, we are giving him a gold star because he's absolutely right. Now, we still got to ah the Mets this. (laughs) So that leaked. And obviously, you know, a general manager saying that the commissioner of baseball just doesn't get it. Oh, and it turns out, of course, that the idea was not from. There's so many things wrong here. The idea was not from Rob Manfred. So he is innocent in this particular situation. The Mets owners said the idea wasn't from Rob Manfred. I don't know how much I would trust that, right? They're in the middle of trying to sell their team. I I definitely think there could be some falling on the sword here. I would I 100% think it was Manfred. Why All would right. Van Wagenen say that? Like why why would why would Jeff Wilpon who's saying it was his idea, which like what a moron Jeff Wilpon then. <laughs> how well, how would how would Brody Van Wagenen think from a conversation with Jeff Wilpon that it was Rob Manfred's idea unless it was Rob Manfred's idea. 
Well, I can see Jeff Wilpon going, okay, so I was talking to Rob Manfred and here's what we came up with or here's what, what I'd like us to do, right? So you could, just by that statement, if you're Brody, you could infer either way. You could infer Jeff and and Manfred had talked, Jeff suggested it and, and Manfred signed off on it. Or you could infer sure. that Manfred said it, vice versa. I'm just saying, it could be. Regardless, the official line is from both Wilpons is uh, that it was Jeff Wilpon's idea and a horrible one at that. Just to add a little bit of salt to the wound, when they, when they tweeted out the statement, uh, both owners did not spell Brody Van Wagenen's name properly when they made it a possessive. And they spelled it differently from each other. B-R-O-D-Y apostrophe S, I thought, for both. But yeah, still. Like, guys, yeah. you don't know who you hired? You don't care who you hired? <laughs> you don't... Yeah, it was just... But, you know, they do over... there's still obviously some do-overness here for the Mets, which, you know, they don't deserve a do-over for such a horrible plan. The gold star goes to Brody for calling out the nonsense that is Rob Manfred, because whether this came from Manfred or not, he's still right. He just doesn't get it on a leadership level. Absolutely. Now, last thing about this before we leave it to go to the final thoughts, because this amazes me the most of all, and it is the most Mets thing ever. The initial thought was that someone had spied on a Zoom call or had gotten access to this file that had saved the call and had somehow leaked it out. But that would require some subterfuge and cleverness on the part of either a Mets fan or someone in a front office somewhere. That's not what happened. Do you know how this video got out? Didn't it go out on their official channel? It was posted on the Mets website. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a half hour and some some guy was trying to look for an update on what was going to happen on the game. And he watched the video and he's like, mm, I better save that. Yep. Wow. <laughs> Meet the Mets. <laughs> I can just think there's a loss on this podcast. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Okay, so uh, you hit me with a final thought then. Yeah, so I – well, I have two. The first one is just Anthony Alford is gone. He's been – he was DFA'd and the Pirates claimed him on waivers. The rare time I actually want someone to succeed in another organization, I hope he really crushes it in Pittsburgh because as has become very clear over the life of this podcast, I'm a big fan both professionally and like personally because I've met him. And I just hope he has all the success in the world. Good luck. Gone. Good luck, Anthony. Sincerely. Yeah. So my actual final thought. Not your penultimate thought? <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> the other one was my penultimate thought. This is my <laughs> ultimate thought. Um, <laughs> so we talked earlier about all, some of the crazy transactions the Jays have been having re recently. You know, like which we, we, it took me forever to list them earlier. One thing that's funny is some of the the way that the transactions have to be recorded. For example, when Jacob Wagesback got sent down, he had to be assigned to the alternate location and then added to the taxi squad, even though he never went to the alternate location. It was just the wording. So I was looking at it earlier. This was my favorite, though. When they DFA'd Thomas Pannone, he cleared waivers. <laughs> the notation when he cleared waivered was, Blue Jays invited non-roster left-handed pitcher Thomas Pannone to spring training. 
<laughs> and then they sent him to the alternate training site. That's Come the official down. transaction that they invited him to spring training in the middle of August. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it has gone a little bit, a little bit left-handed. Uh, or uh, yeah, I think a little bit left-handed is a good phrase. Um, all season long, that's a cute one. Uh, I have uh, a cool little thing about the Blue Jays, courtesy of Reddit user STV7, whom I do not know, but um, he was thinking about how the Blue Jays are, you know, in every game. So in the final regulation inning of games, whether they be seven or nine innings. There are the only times all season they have not been winning, tied, or had the tying run at the plate were a 10-1 loss to the Braves on the 4th of August and a 4-1 loss to the Rays on July 25th. My God. That includes 15 one-run games in which the Jays are 9-6 and and extra inning games, 10 of which the Jays are 4-6, and both more than anyone else in baseball. So if you feel like you've been on the edge of your seat, you have. Yeah. Ugh. This 60-game season is going to feel like 155. <laughs> it may. Apparently, the Blue Jays have not figured out how to hit Brandon Kinsler. Anyway, um, yeah. That is to say, you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010, and this has been episode number 181 of Artificial Turf Wars, and we will talk at you next week. 